1: From Equitymates Media, this is The Dive. I'm your host, Sasha Kelly. Australia is in the midst of a rental crisis.
2: Sydney's rental market has gone from bad to worse, with prices continuing to soar. There is a real and genuine rental crisis out there. This is not just talk.
1: And this involves a prolonged period of very low rental vacancy rates, combined with rising rent levels. Earlier in January, CoreLogic published data that said that the national vacancy rate had almost halved in the past 12 months. It was down to 1.2% from 2.1% previously. And since the start of the upswing in September 2020, Australian rent values have lifted 22.2%, marking the largest rental upswing on record, based on the CoreLogic Hedonic Rental Index Back Series. So for those of you who want numbers, this means the median weekly rent valuation across Australian dwellings rose from $430 per week to $519. It's Monday, the 30th of January, and today I want to know what led us to this so-called rental crisis, and more importantly, what's the solution? To do this today, I'm joined by Thomas, who is one half of Comedian vs Economist. I'm not supposed to have favourite podcasts here at Equity Mates, but it certainly is a weekly highlight releasing on Wednesday and they are back from their summer break this week. Thomas is an expert in this particular field and a working economist, and he's gonna talk me through this subject.
2: New figures have exposed the rental crisis gripping our country with experts warning there is no end in sight. I
1: did read some papers, physical papers over the holidays, and every single one of them reported on this, and it seems to be a constant topic on news sites and other podcasts I listen to. So, I'm going to give you a couple of the stats that I've pulled, Thomas. CoreLogic reported in January that the national vacancy rate has halved in capital cities in the past 12 months, and it's now down to 1.2% nationally. National rents, they've also risen by 10% in the past 12 months alone. The Sydney Morning Herald is saying that one in five renters are offering more rent than the advertised price in Victoria, although that practice is outlawed in several other states. I mean, I could go on, I've got a longer list here, but Thomas, as a renter, my lease expires in May. Those stats are giving me a bit of anxiety. I'm seeing this described as a crisis, which feels accurate. But is that the official terminology? Can you walk us back and exactly define what's going on here?
0: Um, yeah, crisis probably isn't. There's not an official term of that. That would sort of require some kind of crisis response. So the politician's probably very careful not to, to label it an official crisis. But certainly it's the case that the rental market is going bananas, to, to name the official term for it. Um, yeah, rents are, are through the roof. The vacancy rates through the floor. It's it's the it's the tightest rental market. It's the tightest rental market. I think I think you could ever say it, we, we've ever seen in Australia. It is it is really remarkable. The the really interesting interesting thing about it is that. When COVID first hit and the international borders closed, the general consensus was that that was going to put downward pressure on rents, that you'd have less people coming into the country, that would free up some of the housing stock, it would become a renter's market and that should put downward pressure on rents. What happened though was the complete opposite. And that was really interesting given that happened before the borders reopened. And we got to look at this with the census data Last year, and what we found in 2021 is basically that people just spread out. So it used to be the average household size was 2.6 people. We all just spread out more. We took up more rooms, and the average house size fell to 2.5 people. That doesn't sound like a huge number or a huge drop, but it's enough to create demand for an extra 200,000 homes. And that's, you think about 200,000 is quite a lot. That's, you know, in a good year, in a great year, that's as many detached houses and units that we produce in a year so we just had this instantly an extra year of demand just whoop into the market and the market was already tight but then yeah it went to it went to crazy tight
1: you said that two hundred thousand houses is basically the max that we can create is that because of limitations on on actual supply like wood and concrete and builders is or or can we kind of increase that that ability to make more houses Uh,
0: I mean, theoretically, there's no real limit on it. You could sort of just, you know, pump out a million houses if you wanted to. Um, There's a lot of constraints on it. And one one of the big mismatches you've got with the housing market is you have – Supply largely determined at the council and the state level. So, state opens up the land and and councils approve it for housing and that's sort of where the the flow of housing comes from. Housing itself is then held by private developers. That's that's overwhelmingly, you know, almost entirely that's where new housing stock comes from. Um, There's a lot of accusations that they will hold back on land supply to keep prices inflated and there's some evidence of that. But then you have some of the demand factors like interest rates and uh, net overseas immigration. They're, They're set at the federal level. And so it's really the housing balance, the housing market is in no one's hands and everyone cries crocodile tears about it, but there's nothing that anyone's really able to do about it because it sort of requires a a crisis level kind of coordination, but no one wants to call it a crisis.
1: Well, we'll get into solutions in a second, but you did name the I word, which is interest rates. What effect and what role do interest rates have on rental prices? Because obviously, that is the other dominating subject in the news at the moment.
0: Right. Yeah, it's interesting. This one, they have no impact on on rents. There's, there's no connection between interest rates and rents. Wow. it Rents and, and house prices are connected in the sense that when rents go up, that pushes up house prices because you can think of rents as the return on your asset and in the sort of financial sense, as returns of an asset go up, the price of an asset goes up. So that makes sense. Like if, you go, if you're getting more rent for a property, it's, investors are willing to pay more for it because it's getting a, a bigger return. So increase in rents leads to increase in prices, but it doesn't flow the other way. If prices go up, that has no impact on the rental market. The rental market prices are set by supply and demand, supply of properties, supply of rental properties in the market and demand for those rental properties. And so interest rates and inflation don't actually have anything to do with it.
1: Because I am seeing those two things in the same sentence a lot. Is that because in Australia, we do have a lot of people who invest in property as an investment and therefore expect the rental yields to cover their mortgages?
0: Um, they might have that expectation. I mean, I think what you're seeing is a justification for the rental increases that they're seeing, that investors are seeing that they can get away with increasing rents. They can get away with jacking up the prices. And so, they're just doing that and then looking for a cover and saying, well, inflation. But there's no inflation in a landlord's costs other than the prices of, of you know mortgage payments going up. But that's not really a justification for increasing rents it's really a, d- a demand story and you know can point point everyone's pointing the finger at inflation There's, you know it's kind of a a bit like corporate price gouging going on in
1: the rental market in a moment thomas and i talk about how long this rental crisis is going to last we'll be back
0: Uh, landlords might be testing the market for the first time in a little while. They might be seeing how
2: much they can get. And they're finding that the desperation of people trying to find a home at the moment is very high. And that's allowing really significant rent increases.
1: So I'm eyeing off the end of my lease in May. How long is this going to last? Am I in trouble?
0: I don't don't have any good news for you on that, I'm afraid. Because one, it, it would require some sort of shift in the household formation, which would require us to go back to packing more people into more into fewer houses. That requires some kind of shift. It probably could requires the complete unwinding of work from home. Like I think that's that's been one of the big factors that everyone needs a doesn't have a spare room now. They need the home office, and even if they're not working five days from home, they're going back to like two or three. They still need that home office, and so that's not freeing up the, that housing stock. So I don't see that reversing anytime soon, and at the same time, population is growing quite strongly. The Labor government's talking about a record intake of three hundred thousand net overseas immigration this year. That's a big number. You know, that's the biggest on record. So that's that's certainly pumping demand as well. So supply doesn't change. This doesn't seem to be changing supply. If anything, supplies. Really struggling because you had all these um, imp- like su- supply chain bottlenecks in the construction sector, which which means that a lot of housing stock is sort of failing to come online, or taking a lot longer to come online. So supply is not changing, demand's increasing. I think renters are in for a bit of a rough trot, even rougher trot.
1: Great. Well, that hasn't
2: really <laughs> put a
1: smile on my face at all. I want to turn back to this idea of solutions and and what could be done. Um, this is obviously not going to go away anytime soon, but magic wand, what should Australia be doing to make sure that we're avoiding this in the future?
0: Um, I think I think there is a really, there is a really a, a case, there's, there's no sort of easy answer because we can't sort of grow the housing stock indefinitely and you know keep expanding into greenfield sites and taking up the natural environment that there is some level to that so we need to like ideally you want to think about what's the ideal growth rate of the housing stock what feels sustainable and then what kind of population meets that need so you, you, i think it's reasonable to ask the question like is is right now in the middle of a housing crisis where people are lining up for hours just to get a look at a place is that the time to be running record immigration maybe we want to wait until the housing market stabilizes a bit more or we get more housing stock or we get out of these record low vacancy rates that we're seeing before we start really ramping up immigration if that's the choice we want to make. Where where you land on that depends on how you feel about a lot of issues about how much you want to eat into the natural environment with how with the housing stock, how much you want to push high density growth, high density housing in Urban areas, particularly like leafy inner suburb cities, do we do we want to pack them out with high rises? How many people do we want the Australian population to be? What feels sustainable? What meets the needs of the economy? There's sort of a lot of questions that you need to sort of answer with that, and it's kind of why it just keeps ending up in the too hard basket, and we keep kind of letting the market do its thing, and then the market gives us a crisis, and everyone sort of shrugs and goes, "Oh, whoops, that's unlucky."
1: So I am reading a lot of headlines as well, as well as the interest rate headlines. Others that are saying that you know this disruption of Airbnb is another cause of these problems, but what I'm hearing you saying is that this is a way bigger picture problem, and that those are convenient sound bites to illustrate the problem on a on a micro level.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think that's right. I mean, I guess if there's one thing I, I would hope for is that we shift away from thinking about housing as an asset class and thinking about it as a fundamental human need because it is because the economy doesn't work without housing the society doesn't work without housing to put to put that in the hands of the private market and just let the private market come up with whatever outcomes it decides that's problematic and we're, and we're bearing the brunt of that and young people will bear the brunt of that because they're the last into the housing market and it's just getting, it's getting harder and harder. And not only is have houses become more much less affordable as prices go through the roof, but now you're stuck renting, but rents are going through the roof as well. So young people are really getting squeezed with this and, and I think it often ends up with this sort of boomers versus millennials kind of dialogue and the millennials are eating smushed at too much smushed avocado and all of that. It's just not true. It is tougher now to buy a home than it ever has been. It's tougher now to rent than it ever has been. The young people have a right, I think, to be angry about how this is working. And I think it starts with the fact that we've turned deliberately turned housing into an asset class primarily first and foremost and a human need second. And I think that's where the great mistake was made.
1: Well, Thomas, you haven't necessarily put a smile on my face or made me think that there's an easy solution to this. I'm I'm desperately trying to end on a silver lining. Are there any innovative solutions that you've seen used around the world or would there be anything that you would like to leave us on to get us thinking about as individuals faced with this problem,
0: no, I, I think I think I would I would recommend young people form a political party and get and get angry and get active about this because you know like I see a lot of people I know getting moving into tiny homes and saying young people are looking to live in tiny homes. It's like no, young people's preference isn't to live in a glorified caravan. They would prefer to live in a proper house if that option was available to them. It's a failure of society that that option isn't available to them. That. Young people two, on two incomes, starting a family, can't afford a house. That's a problem. Like that, we're, we're off the rails there, and we need, and that we need to fix that.
1: Well, I think that's a the perfect <laughs> hold arms there at the end, Thomas. I'm going to give you another chance as well to plug Comedian vs Economist. You're back this week. I know we're recording this a couple of days early, so you might not have locked in your final choices yet. But can you give me some highlights of some of the economic stories that have happened recently that you're dying? to get back behind the microphone and talk about with your brother?
0: Uh, yeah, I think I think we're looking at the, there's the term of the poly crisis, Norio Rubini's talking about the mega threats. Um, I think it's a really interesting time to take stock of that given we're in a bit of a, a bear market rally, Stock market's picking up, but there are some big dark clouds on the horizon that some people are pointing to. So I want to tick, tick those off. Have a look at those. Also, want to have a look at what's happening in China. China's uh, just released data showing that their population has fallen for the first time. So there's a turning point in the Chinese in that juggernaut. So it'll be really interesting to think about how that's that's going to track out.
1: Well, I'm really <laughs> excited that you're back this week. So that is released on Wednesday. And Thomas, thank you so much for joining us on the dive today. Thank you. There you go. Not necessarily the silver lining I was hoping for at the end of this episode, but some really interesting thoughts from Thomas about this rental crisis and what I have to look forward to this year when I'm going about resigning my lease. I cannot recommend Comedian vs Economist enough, so jump in and subscribe if you haven't already. Before I let you go, I do have a really quick favour to ask from you. Our Equity Mates community survey is now live. It will take 10 minutes to fill out. The link is right there in your show notes. And there are two prizes up for grabs, $500 or tickets to this year's FinFest. Please, if you're on the commute home right now, and of course you're not driving, what it does is it helps us understand you your needs, and how we can do better with our resources, the kind of shows we make, and the subjects that we focus on. So we would love to hear from you. If this is the first time you've joined us, well, what an auspicious date to join us, our first episode back for 2023. There is a massive back catalogue for you to check out, basically the whole of 2022. If you want to keep the conversation going, then follow us on Instagram. We're at the Dive Business News. Contact us by email, thedive at equitymates.com or hit follow and subscribe wherever you're listening right now and then you'll never miss an episode. I'm Sasha. It's so good to be back with you for 2023. Thanks so much for joining me. Until next time. Consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. EquityMates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services license, 540697.
2: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?